Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm Soyini Koch. Have you ever been blindsided in your business? Like finding out in the newspaper that a competitor has just closed a great deal for them, but leaves you at a disadvantage. Or finding out that you're experiencing downward pricing pressure. Well, Eric Mearshart of Chicago M&A Advisors and Jeffrey Klabish of AltaVia Consulting are, are here to share some secrets on how you can avoid being blindsided or what to do if you find out that you're already in the middle of a mess. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Hi, Sweeney. Hi, Sweeney. So Eric is a veteran CEO and a former McKinsey consultant like myself, and he helps uh, mid-market teams address how to grow and be more profitable. And Jeff, as organizational change management practice director at AltaVia, works with companies to help them deal with change. So you can find out more about them at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. And Eric, I want you to start us off by telling us what are the issues that you think mid-market CEOs get blinded, so- get blinded sided by the most? Okay, thank you. you know, mid-market CEOs, I think, face a unique challenge. Uh, they're often competing against enterprise-class companies who have a lot of resources. And that means that with those financial means and the staff that they have, they can run faster in a number of critical areas. Um, product development. Um, You mean the bigger companies can run faster. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, they have a larger research and development budget. They can push a project along faster. Their size attracts um, business partners and partnerships more quickly. And, um, And so often people find themselves behind. They're getting innovations out to the marketplace less quickly. That's solvable, but it's a problem. The next thing that happens is customer relationships. Uh, many times you find yourself uh, thinking you own a customer relationship and you wake up and realize that you just lost it, that somebody else got in the back door. Now, how does that happen? We'll talk about that. And then, and then lastly, just the ability to advance sales in a, in a marketplace and know what's happening in the economy. So you were talking about price pressures and oftentimes with less staff to watch the economy and research what's going on, we can have a business strategy and a price point that no longer works, and we wake up losing deals, and we don't have a good answer for it, so margins suffer. Mm. And Jeff, as an organizational um, practice director, tell us why it seems that like mid-market CEOs may not be reacting quickly to not, enough to, to changes in the market. Well, they don't react quickly enough because they're generally focused on a particular product or a particular service. And they really don't have um, the resources or, or they don't dedicate the resources for the sensing functions that they need in order to understand the market conditions and their competitors and, and the needs of their customers. Sometimes they're so overly focused on delivering whatever product and service that they have, they, they don't really realize that there's other opportunities out there that they need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. So some, for some in, internal research that, that my team did around what preoccupies the minds of mid-market CEOs, we found that a lot of them are really focused on very short-term strategy. That's right. The tyranny of the urgent. Right. The tyranny of the urgent. Mm-hmm. Very few really think about or have a, a, a interest in strategies that may be more 
um, have a, a higher time, a longer time horizon. And yet what you were talking about in order to understand some of these risks is going to um, mandate that they actually be able to think a little bit longer term. What's your recommendation in that regard? Well, one of the things that that we recommend our to our clients um, is to set long term goals. You know, if you go back to you know General Electric, Jack Welsh at one point went and said that at General Electric we're either going to be number one or number two in whatever market we happen to be in, and and when you are able to set those those goals for your organization, you find that if there is some change, you can go back and you already have a, an aligned organization that can adapt to that very quickly. And so what winds up happening is, um, you know, CEOs tend to continue focusing on their product and, and they don't realize and they don't take the data to be able to see what's really happening. Yeah. So, you know, I would, I would add to that this back to the scale problem. I'm a mid-market company. And, and it usually means that the executive staff and the CEO are paying attention to what's going on by watching the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Not that that's bad, but it's not enough. You're competing against larger companies and you have, uh, they have strategy staffs that are uh, reading The Economist, looking at customer trends, looking at supplier trends. We think that uh, for companies to step forward and get out in front of change and know what's going on, they have to start monitoring their customers. I have to worry about what's happening to my customers, not just my business. So as a simple example, if I'm selling to Caterpillar, I should be watching Caterpillar's 10K. Now, how many people do that systematically across the 80, the 20% of your customers that comprise 80% of your revenue? How many people really do that? Mm. How many people are watching the 80 of their customer base and knowing what's happening to them? How many people are looking at how the economy affects their suppliers? If you're not, you get blindsided by price increases that aren't baked into your product pricing. So we think people need to have a more persistent mechanism for monitoring what's going on and raising risk up. It can't be the Wall Street Journal or the latest article. That's too random. And mid-market companies are often challenged by that because the tyranny of the urgent lower budgets keep them focused on quarterly earnings, cash flow, and all those necessary things, right? So they need to come up with a better way of sensing what's going on more pervasively and looking at their suppliers and customers and what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. However, I know that CEOs listening to this are probably hearing wah, 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 because, <laughs> you, you know, as uh, sure. the, the things that do preoccupy their attention sure. are more like, how am I going to make my numbers this month? Right. Um, or how am I going to replace that person that, you know, my top VP who may have just walked out on me? Mm-hmm. And, and yet, how do you, in terms of rationalizing the CEO's time, what is your recommendation for how they actually do that? So they may be listening and being like, yeah, that's a good idea, but how am I going to, how am I actually going to mobilize my team's resources amongst all the other priorities that we have mm-hmm. to now have them start to, to track this information and and then distill it into whatever might be actionable for the, the, the team. So one of the things that we recommend for um, uh, organizations is to create a command center. Um, some people go back and they, they refer to it as a tiger team with a strong governance structure or something to that effect. I mean, a CEO can't possibly always be looking around everywhere, right? So you need to delegate that to teams and cross-functional teams, you know, who do be, have the chance and opportunity to be able to see that, right? You know, and also to establish a clear two-way communication with, with the rest of the employees within the organization. So a lot of times there's, there's always this downward communication, okay, do this, do that, do this. But a lot of times people don't really have a chance to take a, a moment to listen to their employees, the people who are truly connecting with their customers or 
truly connecting with the suppliers mm-hmm. to be able to get opportunities for improvement. Mm-hmm. There'd be one other thing I'd add that we can start, we can watch and do economically that people aren't thinking about. And it's, it's leveraging uh, social media automation. Okay. So there are lots of products out there in the marketplace that companies like Kraft use to monitor and do social brand management. They, they're listening to everything anyone's tweeting about related to their company, right? The truth is these platforms can be pointed at any stream of social data. So I can very simply set up a community of interaction with my customers so that customers can give me feedback real time. You think about the changing generations, they're used to tweeting as a simple example, as one example. Now I can monitor that stream and these, these tools automatically find negative sentiment and text and they automatically present to you what you should be worried about. So one of the other issues, though, that a lot of corporations do is that they they monitor only themselves in their own corporation. They don't monitor their, right. their competitors. They don't monitor yeah. their suppliers. And so sometimes there can be something that can be happening upstream or downstream from them, and they may not necessarily be aware of it because they're always so focused on their own corporation and issues that are facing themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Another really super pragmatic way, you, you have an issue that comes to attention and you've, you've noticed it. Maybe I, I lost two deals at a much lower price point than I'm used to. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, now, now the question is why. And normally what people do is they look inward. They start asking, what do we do wrong in the sales cycle? These are all good questions, by the way. Nothing wrong with them. How about the first thing is go out to your customers and ask why. Now to do that, you've got to have good close deal analysis. That's not expensive or hard. It's just a discipline to do. And if you do it yourself, Sometimes that's difficult because somebody, a buyer doesn't want to tell you why they rejected you. It's too personal. So you've got to find a way, either through social media or maybe an outside firm. It's not something we do. I'm not talking about that. But um, you got to find a way to go find out systematically what's going on. So when you have an issue, instead of looking inside first, look outside. Do, do um, suppliers see price points going up or down? Do, uh, do cus- are customers in that market under significant pressure? Maybe you ought to reach out to the customer and ask them what the real problem is. And now you can learn something about what to do. And I've seen that work. I had to do it myself. Right. And, and you can often unlock new opportunity by just mid- literally going CEO to CEO and, and say, I'm the CEO of my company. I'd like to know why we lost the deal. And oftentimes you find other business or get a relationship. And so get outside first and ask and have a discipline of doing so. And it's a, it's a pragmatic way of of doing this, but I, I bump into companies regularly that have no persistent closed a deal analysis. They have no persistent customer survey. They have no persistent way of simply letting employees bubble ideas directly up. And there's so many easy ways to do that now. Mm. Let's go back to this Tiger Team idea. So at least with the mid-market companies I'm familiar with, the Tiger Team is going to be the same three people, same five people that are t- are doing everything else. Sure. Uh, how do, how does one practically implement that idea at, at this level? Well, I I mean the in order to to implement it in order to implement the the solution, you really have the answer is really persistence, right? And it's going back and focusing on on your particular goals. Mm. So if you find that you're constantly getting you know, undercut in sales, or you find that there's another issue, you know, it's going back and you're always constantly looking for other issues and bringing those back into the tiger team for resolution. You know, the, the other issue is that, you know, you need to be able to have facilitated sessions mm. so that these people can resolve these issues. You find that a lot of CEOs will go back and try to facilitate these 
the resolutions. And what winds up happening is, you know, there's going to be people who are going to withhold information, right? Or not necessarily be forthcoming in the best solutions. So when you go back and you bring in professional facilitation um, organization, um, you can go back and you can focus on the problems, you know, as opposed to the individuals that are, that are involved in the solution. You know, Jeff, the other thing that dawns on me that maybe CEOs want to think about is when I, if I have to go through problem solving a difficult issue, if I can bring somebody in from the outside, whoever that might be, it could even just be another colleague in another business, but I get to be a player, not a leader. And sometimes sitting in the room and me being able to listen and think for myself instead of having to lead and control and command frees your mind up to add some value that you uh, can't when you're trying to lead and make sure everyone's participating and all those things. So, mm-hmm. so that's why we think it's sometimes critical. There's, you, finding the issue is important. Getting outside in is important. The next thing that's important is getting the people together. And you know, I know you were, you're probably going to go there next, so I'm probably stealing your thunder, Jeff. But the, the, there's this idea of, again, get outside in. So the group in the room is not just your executive team. It's key managers in the organization who can solve the issue, and very importantly, suppliers and customers. If we aren't solving the problem across the supply chain, if you will, we miss what's really going on, Mm. okay? And so that's why you want to bring people together and and facilitate a session that really bubbles up ideas. If you got a great facilitator on the team, use them. If you don't, go get one. (laughs) Yeah. And sit there as a CEO and participate and add value instead of having to worry about those mechanics. So let's talk about best practice in terms of the the amount of time and effort that you think, of course, this is across different industries and very general, but how much time and effort do you think the average or prototypical mid-market company should be spending on this kind of activity to make sure that they're doing enough activity and penetrating the the data deeply enough so that they can get ahead of the the curve? Well, I, I think the key is that it's persistent. So, and there's always going to be a portion of your day that you need to be able to focus on either resolving these issues or being able to scan the horizon for, you know, possible issues or opportunities. So it's, I don't, it's really hard to say because it depends on, you know, the business natures and and where you are. Right. But it's not something that you, you just wait to have happen to you. It's something that you're constantly always putting effort towards and, and meeting to be able to either resolve issues that happen to be on the table creating new goals that you you may set for your organization, you know, or looking for opportunities or other risks that you may be facing. I mean, I'm going to suggest something that it's hard, but size varies a lot. So if we said companies between, uh, say, 200 million and 500 million, it's going to feel different than companies smaller than that yeah. and larger. In the, so let's talk about two to 500 and right. call that mid-market for a minute. If, if that's mid-market, you know, start pragmatically. Take your, whoever you have on the team, like your chief marketing officer and some person they have on their staff, if you're lucky enough to have a strategy role, and monthly, look systematically. Monthly, call some customers. Get a simple uh, quarterly customer survey done. Get a simple supplier survey done. Do some simple things monthly and start there. Now, is that as dynamic as we need to be? You know, maybe not. But, but it, but so it's something, but it's something and it's a good start. And, you know, instead of doing it semi-annually, so we set our strategy in, you know, November, December for doing our good job. Some people leak into January and, and we set our strategy and then we, we, we get on the drag, the quarterly drag, and we wake up in July and say, so what happened? That's too late. 
I've lost half a year. It'll take me two to three months to solve the problem. And now I'm really changing for the following year. And the current year is going to be what it is. And so, um, so just do something monthly. Do your best. If, if I had to say what, what drag that creates, somebody's going to give up 40 hours a month. Mm. If you did something monthly, someone is. Now, how you do that, you can get very creative. You, you might even get an MBA student to help you. You know, there are just there are ways of doing this that you, you can start on, right? And, and, but I, what I would say is companies need to get more systematic than that. Uh, I, I'll give you an example. We, we know about Elon Musk and, mm-hmm. and, and the electric car, right? And, and, and he's out in front of things. You have to argue that he's probably a good innovator, right? Well, maybe he, he well, okay. He, <laughs> he lost, uh, well, he, he outpaced uh, some very significant companies in, in some ways, right? He loses an engineer, a, a significant product engineer. He doesn't notice that he lost the sig- significant product engineer to Google. He loses a second product engineer to Google. He doesn't notice that he lost a second product engineer. It took him five losses to wake up and realize that he had just gotten raided and he now has a real competitor. He didn't need to go through that. The head of HR who does the recruiting exit interviews, you're leaving, let's just close things up. I'm going to Google, I'm going to Google, I'm going to Google. If he or she had a mindset that that's a risk and I have a place where I can raise that risk and we're gonna go address it, now I have a simple, I have a way of raising that risk and getting out in front of it. He should have been on it after number two, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and these, so it happens to people that are moving really fast and are very large. It also has, so it can happen to us in the, in the mid market as, as well. Right. And Jeff, I just want to go back to something that you said. So I think you, you said that persistence, like the consistency of doing it is almost more important than even the, the depth or like how extensive it is. It's more important, let's say for the CEO to have the, the discipline of looking at these trends, even if it's for a Google alert for like the three most important keywords and doing it every day or twice a week, than it is that, you know, you do some big strategy session twice a year. Did I hear that correct? Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, to, to Eric's point, I mean, the, the people who left, you know, Tesla to go over to, to Google, you know, they, they left, you know, in dispersed moments with, you know, within the, the month or the year, right? Which is why they didn't pick it up. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and sometimes, a lot of times, but if you look at traditional management cycles, those cycles happen, you know, maybe once a month, the management team will meet maybe once a quarter, depending on, you know, how things go. You know, and, and the old traditional management processes has basically been created to satisfy Wall Street and investors, right? And really not necessarily to handle these one-off moments that, holy crap, what are we going to do now? And so, you know, the, the trick is that you need to be able to, to have a mechanism in place to be able to bubble these issues up, you know, at all, any time. Mm-hmm. And, and it really is, it, it's the process to be able to scan and, and the, the, you know, the, the process to be able to, to scan all this and then to be able to meet and to be able to evaluate it on a timely basis. Mm-hmm. But in the, 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 the Tesla example, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he would never, I'm assuming Tesla has a thousand employees. I mean, how would he, even if he's, you know, looking at Google Alerts, he's not going to be, I don't know that it would be practical for him to have that kind of data coming directly to his desk every morning. Uh, you wouldn't bring it to the desk every morning. So you, you create a cadence. It's better to make things a process than leave it an event, mm-hmm. right? So say in our example, you start monthly. You start there. <laughs> every month, somebody knows it's their responsibility to drive a risk management meeting. And you come with the data 
I've got some comments from customers, some comments from suppliers. I'm looking at the economy that affects the 80 of my customer base. I'm looking at the economy that affects my key suppliers, not just me. I'm looking at the economy relative to me. I've talked to sales to see if we have price point issues. You see what I'm doing? I'm pulling together a view. And then, and then, then employees also then employees also can Absolutely. raise issues, including the executives. And and it's not it it can't be this environment where HR brings its point of view and sales brings its point of view. You have to take it out of the hierarchy because the hierarchy, even in a mid-sized company, has a fair amount of sort of protection and control embedded in it, right? And so what we want to do is have a role whose job it is to pull together the point of view. Then it makes it less about what the CFO is willing to say or what the VP of sales is willing to let people know about the closed loss analysis. It becomes about this role who pulls this together so we can go address our problems. And it takes, it makes it a little less political. And then that person pulls together the view and this command center that Jeff was talking about, including customers and suppliers, changes the political dynamics of the meeting, right? It's more, more polite, more inclusive, more balanced. And now we talk about the issues and some of those customers on the, on the command center get to say, you know, that's right. That's an issue. Or it might not be an issue for me, but I know a CEO who it is, or I'm not sure it is, but I know somebody, you know, you create a different conversation and because you have a cadence, people fall into doing the work. Mm. And, it, and now that doesn't mean you don't raise an issue when you see it in the third week of the month, you know, but at least if you start monthly and you create a monthly cadence, then it becomes something you do and you don't cram it in at the end of the, I'm looking at the monthly PL meeting. Cause that thing, I don't know how many CEOs run that meeting and have extra time all the time. I've n- I never did, unfortunately. And, and when I was on executive staffs in bigger companies, I never, you know, I don't think we ever, you know, finished early very frequently. <laughs> we were usually running over. So I can't cram it in that agenda, right? And that's what people do. Well, we didn't have time to talk about that issue. We'll find a meeting. A couple weeks go by, right? Monthly cadence. Mm. So listeners, we're talking with Jeff Klabish of Altavia Consulting and Eric Mearshart of Chicago M&A Advisors about how to prevent being blindsided in your business. So, Jeff, how do you establish the kind of culture? Because no matter what you say, if, if, if people don't feel safe enough to bring the information up, they're not going to. How do you create the kind of culture that will allow everybody in the organization to feel safe and bring up these, these risks in a, in, in a public forum, let's say? Sure. I mean, from a leadership perspective, it, it really starts with open, honest communication from the leader, correct? Mm-hmm. And and going back and and setting precedents and and setting an example of of what you really expect your organization to do, you know, and then go back and support that. So as you go back and and get good feedback, you reward employees for that information, you know. And if you see areas where you know, information may be getting squelched or may be getting suppressed. You, know, you go back and you address that issue and, and you, you, you get it resolved as quickly as possible. Hmm. Open, honest communication is a great platitude. Like, just great. <laughs> like, everybody loves open and right. honest communication. Right. Give us an example, let's say, of where a, a CEO really did this well. Well, I was at a town hall conference at NASA one time. And they had just established a, a um, uh, basically an employee portal forum, right? And um, the uh, center, the, the Marshall Space Flight Director Center um, uh, CEO, if you will, um, was essentially taking emails from each of the employees that were that were sending recommendations. And one of the e- emails that went up 
to him was uh, an employee and said, you know, my boss told me that you're never going to read any of these things. And <laughs> I'm going to send you this and I doubt you're ever going to read it. You know, and, you know, but I'm just going to you know, send it to you, see what happens. And so in the middle of town hall in front of 10,000 people, you know, this person went and read this email and said, no, Chuck, um, I read all of these emails and you can tell your boss, George, that um, I do. And, you know, and at that point, they basically established that, you know, this was something that they really took seriously and for real. Great, 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 great. So I want to turn the conversation a little bit to the working relationship between the two of you. So I was told by a an advisor, like, never do a joint venture. They don't work. And yet you are embarking on a, a, a joint venture together. Tell us a little bit about how that came about and like why it's working Hmm. Okay. Well, well, I got to know Altavia um, providing uh, advice to another part of their organization on strategy and market acceleration, and then uh, met Jeff. The the thing that um, uh, really compelled me about what what we're doing in this area is, from my perspective, it, it, let me say this: the answer is um, shared value. Okay. So let me. Let me start there. Shared values or shared value? Shared shared value. If there's value in it, value is a different word, although I think we have some shared values. (laughs) But but a shared value. Um, I'm in the business of helping mid-market companies grow and accelerate, maximizing enterprise value, and perhaps transact if that's what they want to do. And and one of the primary barriers for mid-market companies is having enough sophistication to hit their plan consistently and predictably. Yes. Right. If, if you go to sell your company and you look your your P&L, your EBITDA and your revenue are going up and down, you get a, a three times or a four times multiple. If you have a persistent growth rate at high margin in certain markets, you can get a 10 times multiple. What's the value of persistently good, predictable behavior? About 300 percent higher enterprise value. You know what Jeff's doing is very compelling for me because what of, is Jeff doing? I don't know. That oh, is yeah. so compelling. <laughs> So, so my my background, my specialty is organizational change management. Uh-huh. So, Altavia Consulting specializes in in analyzing costs and being able to drive profit. And what we find most of the time is that there there tends to be a, a change in process, and there tends to be a, a change in in people's behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, once you identify um, how to you know either a drive you know, lower costs or how to increase your profit, right? Mm-hmm. So I came to Altavia about two years ago. Um, and basically, as we work with our clients to to help change their process, to be able to help train employees and be able to help communicate, you know, new initiatives and, and how um, the work that Altavia is doing is impacting the employees. Mm-hmm. So now, so this, uh, this idea that we baked up together, you know, kind of a shared value idea, adaptive leadership is how to get companies to stay out in front of change. Is that your word? Adaptive leadership? Yes. Okay. And 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 um, and so this is how companies can get, it's a persistent process or a business system for how you can get out in front of risk and changes that are coming and actually adapt the organization to achieve an end result. And it has a number of unique components in it that help people get out in front of things and as they change, actually get the end result. And so for me, that makes a lot of sense because if I can help clients do that, that'll maximize their enterprise value. And for Jeff, it makes sense because he's then driving value for clients, right? Right. Exactly. And that's where the shared value comes in. And, you know, I would say one thing that uniquely about it, there's lots of processes out there that tell you how to do change management and inform employees. And what happens is at the end of that 
process, the project is over, and then everybody goes back to business as usual. And it's actually called the Hawthorne effect. Two or three months after the change, the process erodes to what it used to be and we're done. And we got no real benefit. Uh, we are trying to build an environment and a set of tools for people so that when they launch a change, they can monitor that change after the launch date and use Lean Six Sigma and agile principles to continue to change the organization to get to the benefit, not to clear victory because we hit the timeline mm. and maybe the project budget. And so, you know, it, it, so there's, there's, that's where that shared value comes in. And, and for a CEO, the idea of I made a change and I can monitor it and stay on top of it and get the end result, that's a big deal. Mm. I want to go back to something I promised listeners um, which was, let's say that they, they did not, they weren't looking at what was happening with their customers. You know, they find themselves in the middle of some sweeping change and they're like, oh my God, I got caught. What do they do at that point to deal with the risks, you know, that have already overtaken them? You start outside in. Go crush. If you don't have a command center and all the things we're talking about, grab a, a smart group of people and go crush it by starting outside in. I just got the risk. I'm not going to go look at my company. I'm going to go ask customers or suppliers how it is affecting them. Mm. What is the root cause? How is it affecting them? Then I'm going to bring people together in a room. I'm not going to take weeks and months to think about it. I'm going to get the people in the room at the lower levels from the customers, from the supplier, and I'm going to solve the problem best I can. Nobody's leaving. Pizza underneath the door. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's leaving until we're done. It, you know, that attacking the issue, setting aside some time and not letting it get lost in the drumbeat is absolutely critical. Mm. Right? Once I know what, it, what, what I want to do, I've got to communicate, mm. right? And, and, and get people on board and change their compensation, their measurements. And I got to do that. Otherwise, people will pay attention to their bonus plan. And, and things will erode back to business as usual. So if, if three things, there you go. <laughs> Just those, if you start in those three Great things. Great McKinsey consultant. What are they? <laughs> yeah. What are the three things, Eric? Give it to me. It's, it's in my blood. <laughs> I know. I heard it. I was like, I know what that, I know where that comes from. <laughs> well, and the trick is too, is that then, you know, once you, once you get head once, right, you create the process and procedures so you don't get caught again, right? And and that goes back to the you know, persistent monitoring then of of whatever goals you create and, and change, right? You know, and and you know, a lot of times when you find that, you know, you you've been you you you've been surprised, right? And you create the new ways and new, you know, behaviors, um, you go back and you have to make sure that any continuous improvement programs you have are focused on the new goals and, and the new processes so that you know you you're you're consistently trying to you know get the benefits that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've I've been to so many organizations where their continuous improvement programs are scattered and they're not necessarily focused on the corporate goals and trying to drive results. Mm, great. So the the key takeaways that I've I've heard so far around um, preventing being blindsided, I really like this idea about the social media automation. So mm -hmm. I think that that's something that every CEO listening to this can really take home um, immediately. Like you can set, everybody knows Google and Google alerts, and you can set up a Google alert for the, the few things that you need to be watching and look at, looking at it every day. Then the other thing I heard you say, Eric, is to when you are in trouble, look outside, mm -hmm. not inside, and start to go to the market, to your suppliers, to your customers, 
um, to really get the information that will then help you get upstream in terms of your understanding of the market. And then the last thing I heard, Jeff, you said was that persistence is persistence is is almost more important than the depth to which you follow this information. Are you following the market, however small, every day or every week or, as you said, uh, Eric, monthly? Mm -hmm. And so CEOs listening, I'm hoping that you can take one of those things and put them to good use uh, in your companies right away. As we close, Eric and Jeff, what are you looking forward to as you build this this practice that's supposed to help CEOs drive shareholder value 300% or drive uh, equity 300%? Well, I'm, I'm looking just to be able to help organizations. So I've, I've had an opportunity to, to work with some amazing organizations and to be able to take the things that, that I've learned and be able to to help other organizations so they don't get blindsided and they are able to respond to uncertain times. You know, for me, that's that's what I'm looking for, to be able to help other folks. And, and for me, I would just add, um, using a few innovative ideas to drive really superior enterprise value. I 300% is lo- good. <laughs> I think anybody listens like, okay, that, that would be, I'd like that. That's right. That's right. And just, just, just a thing, like I, to jump on a point you made, the first CEO I worked for, my first executive staff role, he said to me something that stuck with me forever. 90% of success is doing the right things. Only 10% is doing them right. Get on with doing the right things. You'll sort it out later. Mm. So if they, they should just get started. It's the right thing to do <laughs> to get more adaptive, pay attention, and get outside in and have a process for changing. You just do something. It, it'll really help. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with me, gentlemen. Um, we've been, For listeners, we've been talking about how to avoid being blindsided with Eric Mierstadt of Chicago M&A Advisors and Jeff Klebisch of Altavia Consulting. And thank you to everyone who's listening. So you've been listening to CEO Exclusive and you can check out our blog on Thursday that's going to give you those key takeaways and a few more details. And you can find that at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. I'm Soyini Koch. And until next time, I hope you have a prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. Thanks. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.